hallowed be your name. We exalt your name as we gather together. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and given us insight into who you are through the revelation of your wonderful name. And so we ask that you would help us to see wonderful things in your law as we meditate upon it now. Help us to be those who are transformed by your Holy Spirit, uh, that your praise would be on our lips and exemplified in our lives in this week ahead. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brands are kind of everywhere, aren't they? Um, companies are passionate about promoting their brands, and they suggest that if you buy their product or use their service, then actually you will get so much more than just a generic product or service. It's a, they're offering you not just merely something with their brand, they're offering you a lifestyle, a vibe, a tribe, a community, a feeling. That's what brands try and do. Um, you could just buy some denim jeans from Matalan for a tenner, or you could buy some Levi 501s for 90 pounds. That 80 pounds, I don't know what goes into it, but it's about the vibe, isn't it? Brands are very um, lucrative. Uh, they're precious. Uh, their value and their worth is, is really fiercely defended. Uh, Ikea uh, threatened to sue a British-based horror computer game company where all the action in this proposed horror game took place in a warehouse with a blue and yellow sign with a Scandinavian-type name and where the people inside were wearing sort of uh, yellow vertical striped shirts. And Ikea kind of thought it was a little bit like their brand, and so they threatened that unless this company changed this store where this horror computer game was going to happen, they were going to be sued. Because Ikea didn't want to be linked with zombies and gruesome killings, funny enough, in their store. Now this concept of, um, of brand begins to orient ourselves, I think, to something far more precious uh, than a product or a company, the name of the Lord our God. And so we're going to consider today the third commandment, but I want to take time uh, to read from verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And as we've been considering, here are the 10 words of the good life uh, that God gave to his freed people Israel to instruct them how to enjoy their blessed life of freedom. So let's read from verse 1. And God spoke all these words. Take that in. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. 
You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is God's word. Now this morning I want us to consider what this third commandment implies both positively and negatively. So positively, uh, this is a command that tells us that we should be lifting up God's name as holy and infinitely precious. In a sense, the whole of the Exodus event can be seen as a, as a stage upon which God reveals his divine name. God met with Moses at the burning bush. And in the process of commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh and to command that Pharaoh should let his people go so they'd be able to come back to that mountain and worship God there, he revealed his personal name. The Hebrew text has four characters which we represent in English as Y-H-W-H, which scholars think would be pronounced Yahweh, although no one is for sure. And in our text, this is represented by the capitalization of the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. No other religion... Uh, at that time referred to God in this way. It was exclusive to Israel. The Lord God, the eternally self-existent one, visualized by that bush that was burning but was not consumed, there God spoke to him uh, and said, I am. And the Exodus event really is God unpacking and revealing his character and what his name means in the events of what take place. And so come with me back to Exodus chapter 6 on page 62. And look at verse 2 of chapter 6, Exodus 6 verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. That's his personal name. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." Then you will know that 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now this is essential for us to understand about what's going on in this Exodus event. That God was saving them for their good, yes, but also for his glory. He was revealing his name, his character, who he was. God was kind of, in a sense, revealing who he was on the world stage. Of course, Pharaoh, when Moses went to him, rejected uh, what Moses said by saying, Who is the Lord? Who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Well, Pharaoh got quite the lesson about who the Lord God is. Israel would forever know the character of God who had entered into this special covenant relationship with them. This this covenant, uh, in a sense, summarized, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. They learned from these events that he was the compassionate God who heard their groaning and saw their misery in Egypt. He was the redeeming God. He would do it with his outstretched arm. He would show his power and his might, redeeming them. Uh, He would be the just God who would execute his just anger upon the Egyptians who had so sorely oppressed them. And he was the rescuing God who freed them from being slaves in Egypt, bringing them out of Egypt in order to meet with him and then take them into the land he promised to give their Uh, their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because this is a God whose name is the Lord, who gives promises and keeps promises. This is the character of the God at the center of the universe. This Exodus event is a revelation of the glory of God given in his name to them. And of course, I hope you realize that the greatest physical treasure you own, if you own one of these, is the Bible. There is nothing more precious than the Bible. If you're running out of a house, make sure you take your Bible with you if it's on fire. Just take your Bible. That's all you'll need is your Bible. Because if you read it and keep reading it, you will come to meet the true and living God who revealed himself. There's no greater blessing than to... Uh, to hear this God call you into relationship with him so you can be one of those who calls upon the name of the Lord, that he is your God. And the more you read the Bible, the more you see the unfolding revelation of God within it, it, how glorious it is, and you get to that culmination where God reveals himself through his Son. The Exodus event was just a foreshadowing of the ultimate rescue that God would achieve through his Son. So turn with me to our New Testament reading. Keep your finger in Exodus and turn back to Philippians chapter 2. You'll find that on page 1,179. 1,179. Consider Jesus and what he reveals 
about the nature and the person of God. I don't know how you would imagine an almighty or omniscient, all-powerful being would be. Well, look at what Jesus reveals about what God is like. As Paul writes to the church in Philippi, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The pre-incarnate Son was truly divine, as these verses say, in very nature God, equality with God. And yet he didn't see his deity as a way of getting, but of giving, of serving. He made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant. He became truly human. He took on human flesh. This glorious God humbled himself to suffering and humiliation, even being crucified by the Romans on a wooden cross with nails in his hands and his feet, by his outstretched arms. Jesus rescued sinners from God's just anger against their sin. He, the perfect, unblemished Passover lamb who takes away God's wrath, dying in the place of sinners. Now in the light of Exodus, do you see the deeper meaning then of what the second half of this Christ hymn is saying? Look at verse 9 of Philippians 2. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's personal name reveals his character. Who is he? The Lord. And what is the name given to Jesus who humbled himself and went to the cross and therefore God highly exalted him? He gave him the name Lord. Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the great I am to the glory of God the Father. See, God's personal name reveals his character, creator, sustainer, redeeming savior, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the third commandment, if you come back to Exodus chapter 20, the third commandment reminds us positively that we should lift up God's name as holy and infinitely precious. All human beings should honor the Lord God as their creator. And of course, all Christians should honor the Lord God, Jesus Christ, as their only Savior. What a beautiful name is the, is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in him will we find salvation. In, in Acts chapter 4, we, we hear uh, Peter giving a, um, a sermon to 
guys who are gathered because a paralyzed man has been healed. And he says to them, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It is by the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other name than Jesus Christ by which we can be saved. What a beautiful name is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, this is the positive teaching uh, and implication of the third commandment. You see, God wants us to use his name. There are over 7,000 references to the Lord in Scripture. As God's people, we're encouraged to honor the Lord, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, trust the Lord, call upon the Lord, delight in the Lord, magnify the Lord, exalt and adore the name of the Lord God. And when you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, then you're going to be someone who delights to speak of him with honor and praise and adoration. I mean, this is how the good news of Jesus spreads, isn't it? That even through the persecution, that they were persecuted for proclaiming the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. What did the Christians do as they scattered out to Samaria and to Antioch? Well, they couldn't help but speak about the good news about Jesus Christ. And through their witness, non-Jewish believers believed and turned to the Lord. And it was there that... Um, the people who made much of the name of Jesus Christ, they got branded. And what was the brand? Oh, they are Christians. They're the, they're the Christ people. They're always going on about Jesus Christ. So positively, that's what we should do. We should lift up God's name as holy and infinitely precious. Negatively. Don't misrepresent his name as worthless. You see, Israel, as God's redeemed people, were to be defined by their exclusive worship of the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt. Uh, they, as a nation, were the product of God's salvation, branded with the name of the Lord God. Um, in the book of Numbers, the Lord instructs Moses to tell Aaron how he is to bless the Israelites. And he was to say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And then it says this in, in, in Numbers. Uh, it says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. As, the, as, the, as Aaron blessed the people, he puts the name of the Lord God upon the people, and those branded with the name will be blessed by the Lord. 
See, their uniqueness was all about their unique personal God. And as they bore up the name, as they lifted up the name of the Lord among the nations, that would be blessing to them and blessing to the nations. Now, Hebrew scholars tell me if you were going for a word-for-word translation um, of, of the third commandment, it would be something like this. You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God to nothingness. That's kind of more literally what it says. You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God to nothingness. And of course, this is about your speech, but it's actually something much bigger than that, isn't it? Their unique status was that they represented the Lord God. We represent God. As Christians, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, if you're trusting Christ, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you go. And so, in their words, and our words, and in our lives, we should not lift up or use the name of the Lord God in a way that tarnishes His name, that trashes the character of God, that would in any way suggest that God is not worthy of infinite value. Now, there's loads of ways we can do that. Let me just suggest five ways. Um, Firstly, we should not speak his name carelessly, thoughtlessly, flippantly, as an expression of shock or disgust. I mean, that is really how most of the time you hear the name of God mentioned in our society, isn't it? This is how you hear the name of Jesus most commonly represented in in society today. As a word of like exclamation or disgust or, you know, profanity. It's amazing to me that people don't do that with the name of Muhammad or Buddha or any other religious name that gets trashed. It's, It's more often... God or the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? If people don't believe in God, why do they curse him? Is it because instinctively they do know that there is a God there and instinctively they are rebellious against him? And maybe that is reflected in their everyday cursing of his name. But second way, His name shouldn't be used as a sort of a magic word, as a power word that we think we can manipulate God with. In Acts chapter 19, you read about the uh, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish Jewish chief priest. And uh, these sons made their living from being exorcists in Ephesus. And they had a pretty rough lesson about this when they attempted an exorcism involving the name of the Lord Jesus. One day an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. Paul, I know, who are you? And the man, just with his evil spirit, jumped up and gave him such a beating that they only escaped out of their house naked and bloodied. And when the news of this got around Ephesus, um, it says that the whole of Ephesus was seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And the result was that even more people became Christians and decided to bring their occult sorcery scrolls and they were burnt in the center of town as the name of Jesus was raised up. We dare not use his name to think we can manipulate God by using his name uh, in that way. Thirdly, there are many warnings to false prophets 
who say that their message is from the Lord, but really they're misusing the name. Um, because those are ideas that are coming out of their own heads and not from God. So Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They're prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatry, and the delusions of their mind. That's another way that you can misuse the name of the Lord. By saying, thus saith the Lord, and telling a load of lies. And uh, our charismatic friends need to be very careful if they are saying that they're giving lots of prophetic words, uh, where they're really saying what the Lord has to say, or whether it's just the imagination of their minds. False oaths. Here's another way. People try to persuade others in law courts or in businesses that they're telling the truth by um, using the name of God as their witness while all the while telling lies. So Leviticus 19.12 says this, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. By and large, the more people add oaths and phrases like, I swear to God, and all these other phrases, then the less you should trust them. Uh, the more that they protest, the more you know they're lying. Uh, in the time of Jesus, people would avoid using, uh, mentioning the name of God, but they would make lots of oaths that would somehow connect them to God in some way. And so Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount not to swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of God, the great king. All you need to say is simply yes or no. And my evangelical Christian friends, I think we need to watch. We don't fall into this trap. Uh, we can so easily kind of turn down requests to do things by uh, making it sound very pious and saying, well, I've prayed about this, and no, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this. When we've not prayed about it, we just simply don't want to do it. Don't invoke the name of God if you've not actually seriously prayed about it. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Finally, religious hypocrisy of any kind misrepresents God's name as worthless. When God's people who bear his name tell everybody else to live moral lives, when they themselves are living immoral lives, God's name is blasphemed among the unbelieving world. That's what uh, Paul says uh, in Romans chapter 2, verse 24. It's quoting from Isaiah 52. His people blaspheme his name by saying one thing and living with total hypocrisy, doing the same thing that they are saying others should not do. And we've witnessed some really tragic, high-profile evangelical leaders having to step down from their ministries because of abuse of power or of greed or because of sexual immorality. All of it going on at the time when they were preaching and praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is breaking the third commandment. Uh, thank you so much for praying for the elders, Pierre-Yves. I didn't know you were going to do that. 
But please do keep praying for the elders and pastors that we would be models, godly examples of, a, of contentment and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We need to heed the warning. For the third thing I want to say this morning is that God will not fail to defend his glory. If companies will defend their brand, um, and they're far less of value than the name of the Lord God, how much more will God defend his glory? Now, there's no specific judgment mentioned here, uh, but you know what? This is not a casual remark. It is a stern warning. If someone in authority comes up to you, say a policeman comes up to you and says, I would not do that if I were you. That's quite a heavy thing. You are being seriously warned of significant repercussions. Do not tread carelessly on God's covenant. Do not treat his holy character with contempt. We should not think that there will be no consequences to living or behaving in a way that ridicules God. Nadab and Abihu uh, discover they couldn't offer strange fire as incense before the Lord. Uh, some people in, the, in, in Corinth, we discover when we read 1 Corinthians, were weak and sick, and some were even uh, had died because they'd eaten the Lord's Supper, while at the same time not treating their fellow Christians uh, with love and respect as part of the body of Christ. We've got communion tonight. Let's examine ourselves during the day. Let's just check we're in good standing with our brothers and sisters. Do, do we need to go and repent of things? Do we need to uh, make sure things are reconciled as far as we're able before we come to the Lord's table tonight? We are reminded from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel 36 uh, earlier, that God's judgment was shown to the nation of Israel in the way that they were thrown out of the land. They were scattered among the nations because they misused and profaned the name of the Lord by their idols and by their words and disobedience to the covenant. But amazingly, and I hope you saw that as, as, as chapter 36 was read, because God is so passionate for his holy name, not only was judgment going to happen, but actually because the people bore the brand name of the Lord God amongst the nations, God says, look, I'm going I'm to save you. I'm going to bring you back. Not because you're special, but because my name is special and I will honor my name. And then the salvation process goes all the way to the sending of his son, Jesus. Here is the wonderful good news. Have you ever profaned the name of the Lord your God? Well, here's wonderful news. For guilty sinners, there's forgiveness and cleansing for those who repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who never, ever spoke any words of sin went to the cross in the place of people who sin, whose speech has been full of sin, so that his sacrifice covers all our sins. And as God promised through Ezekiel, in that same chapter, chapter 36, he's going to put his Holy Spirit in people, in forgiven people, so they will be eager to follow the Lord's decree and keep his law as his new covenant people. You see, a, a key 
part of our discipleship relates to our speech. How we use our words will stand out or should stand out in our, in our society. Christians will be different in their speech for what we say and what we do not say. Instead of blaspheming and swearing and grumbling and complaining, misrepresenting God's name as something worthless, spirit-filled believers lift up God's name as holy and infinitely precious. They joyfully acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. What a privilege this week that we can go out and declare His praises, invite the band up. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now and we confess that we have sinned in our thoughts, in our deeds, and so many times in our words. And so we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have misrepresented you, even as uh, those who say that we trust Christ. Please cleanse us, wash us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, enable us this week that we would be those who uh, declare the praises of King Jesus that we would lift up your name uh, with uh, delight. And Lord, that others may be drawn to trust Christ because of our witness. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. While there is no other name, let's stand and sing that together. (laughs) 